All right. Should we start it? Hit the music? Do it. My bad. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking About News with Black Hills Information Security. Today, I am joined pretty much, as always, by Ryan and Jason. Uh, but today, we also have Derek Banks, and we have Ralph, who is pretty much now, like, officially, let's just make him the co-host. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. I just keep I showing a, up, and you haven't kicked me off, so it's good. Once I have a co-host, then I don't have to show up all the time. It's like, Ralph, <laughs> you're in charge. You're the vice president. Um, you're, you're the yeah. designated survivor on this show. Yeah. So, um, so uh, you know, it's funny, Ralph. You talk about just keep showing up. That's literally how I got started in Security Weekly. Um, at the end of my first episode with Paul and Larry, they're like, hey, come back anytime. I showed up next week and they're like, oh, John. <laughs> OK, yeah, but no, no, it kept it's cool. It's cool. Segments. It appears the link still works. Like everything was so fragile that they couldn't change it. So they're like, once we let him in, he just doesn't leave. Um, so, no, if, if it works for me, it can work for you, too. Yeah, well, um, thank you. But everybody is staying warm. I think that we established that. Like, there's no massive power outages for the people that are on the show right now, right? So we're good. Um, I'm melting power right now. Just yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, so so much heat and warmth. Um, uh, one of my friends that lives down in Dallas, like he built his house. He's he's from like Michigan, and when he built the house, he had the builder like insulate it and seal the windows, and the builder's like. Why? Why are you doing this? He wanted heaters put in. They're like, dude, you live in Dallas. You're a freak. And a generator in the back. They're like, what's wrong with you? This week, he's been great. Uh, he's yeah. just been doing fantastic uh, with everything that he's, that he's got set up there. So hopefully everybody stays warm um, and just try to stay safe. But I wanted to jump into a couple of show uh, stories. So let's go ahead and let's get started. The first one I don't think that we're getting away from the utility issue anytime soon. Um, so this is an article from SC Magazine uh, by Terry Robinson. Everyone's half, half asleep. The bosses don't want trouble. The struggle to actually go through and secure utilities. And what's, what's interesting about this is the fact that this is interesting. And, and what I mean by that is there's a whole bunch of people because of what happened in the Tampa Bay area that are freaking out. And they're like, oh, my God, waters and utility, water plants and utilities um, have massive security issues. And it's now in the news. But I, once again, there's a bunch of us in this community. We're not surprised at, at all whenever you're looking at power companies. And I'm glad Derek's here. Uh, I'm going to bring up a pen test that he was on uh, years ago. And this deals with a power company where it, the, the idea of priorities and you can see the bosses don't want trouble um, and I'll let Derek talk about, it, but I'm going to have to explain a little bit. So Derek remembers what pen test it is. Uh, oh, it was I pen- know what pen test you were talking oh, okay. about. <laughs> uh, if you want to jump right in, let's go for it. Uh, talk about like kind of mismatched priorities and what actually mattered to the power company. Rather yeah. Than what been worried about. So Bo and I were actually on this test and it was, you know, sort of like a red team pivot style thing, like multi-week engagement. And, uh, we ended up uh getting on SCADA systems like we literally turn power off uh um so but you know when we when we find those things we usually take a screenshot and back slowly away right and so 
we sent the report to the uh, the customer. Uh, another thing that we found was a spreadsheet uh, that had everyone in the company's salary, from the CEO down to you know like you know the, the lowest level employee. And we sent them the report, and they contact us back, and they were really really concerned about the spreadsheet with everyone's salary on it. Didn't say a word about the SCADA stuff. Yeah, it, it, and that gets into that mismatched priorities. And that I think that that's probably one of the more extreme examples, Derek, of kind of what we've ran into. Um, because they weren't just like concerned. If I remember correctly, they were completely freaked out. They wanted to start a forensics investigation. Who accessed the spreadsheet and when, which systems. And it wasn't just like a little thing like, wow, we're worried about that. It was like, okay, they're running around their hair on fire because of payroll information. <laughs> yeah, it was and, all some stop. We need to figure this out now. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Let's shut the entire thing down. But that is, that's an extreme example, but that's also kind of indicative of a lot of our customers in this space. Um, and, and I think it probably has a lot to do with regulation and how a lot of these places make money is through legislative capture. And it's not an issue of, you know, trying to keep things up and running to the best of their ability. It's about how can they run crap as cheaply as possible to maximize profits for as long as possible. And I think that also kind of fits, fits a little bit into what we've been hearing so far about Texas. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about this because I think it's an interesting article because it really illuminates what a lot of these different companies are actually concerned about. Um, not necessarily SCADA ICS systems, not necessarily systems going down, uh, not necessarily full access or things you know being in- indexed by Shodan so you can use the internet to just basically find these devices. But seriously, their number one concern is um, how do we continue to make as much money as possible and then payroll information? Um, <laughs> pretty crazy. Well, why do companies have big Excel documents with all the... I've, I've been on engagement as well, and I found that. The big... And it had tons, tons and tons of people on it. Just huge Excel document. It was everything. It was like their whole life. Like family members. It was, it was stupid. It was stu- why, why do you have this? Oh, I, and this was, if I recall correctly, I'm pretty sure I remember this because it was a big ordeal with you know phone calls and meetings afterwards. And uh, um, it was found on someone's computer and not like on the HR share that happened to be open or something like that. So, um, but yeah, I'm with you. Why isn't that in a database protected by some kind of authentication? Um, the same reason that someone got into a water plant and near Tampa and did funny things because they, they don't have their priorities aligned. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, last week I made it, I made it offhand comment. I want to step back. I basically said, if you're using like eight character passwords to secure things and you're not patching your things, um, you're going to get hacked and you deserve to get attacked. And there was somebody that's like, that was kind of mean. It was kind of mean. Um, so well, I apologize for I that. Know, being mean about the truth, there's a difference between mean and firm, right? Like uh, there's, there's the truth hurts sometimes. And, you know, this story, I read a little bit about it and it's hard to get like the straight story and news a lot of the times these days. And for, but from what I understand, there was a shared uh, uh, remote access username and password mm-hmm. that the entire, like, you know, everybody at the, at the utility plant, you know, was using uh, and that it was exposed directly to the internet. And I mean, that's never a good day when I see stuff like that on a, on a, on a test, I giggle like a schoolgirl. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, I, oh, go ahead, Ralph. I was just going to say, nobody deserves to get hacked okay but some people are just more likely i think that's what you were trying to say maybe i 
I, I, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel. Okay, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, and I totally get it. That's so how I feel. I, I think that you read a lot into it, right? Like, we can make assumptions about the systems administrator, and it's entirely possible. Like, I'm going to use Sony as an example. Uh, so whenever Sony got compromised, there was a bunch of people that were saying comments like that, like they deserve to get hacked. And I knew the team at Sony. I knew the team at Target, right? I knew these 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 folks and they ran into the exact same problems that every other organization runs into you know functionality before security every single time they made requests for improving security and were denied time and time and time again and i think there was a lot of people that were making generalizations about those security teams that weren't fair uh to those companies i remember sitting at a a korean barbecue with one of their teams and it was like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, right? We were just sitting around. They were sharing information about, you know, the, the, what had happened. A bunch <laughs> of them were no longer employed, but it was a traumatic event for these people, and we shouldn't have judged them. So, you, whenever we're looking at what we know so far for this power plant in Tampa, it was probably a bit premature for me to say they deserve to get hacked. Now, let's compare it with like HB Gary, who deserved to get hacked. I mean. Yeah. HB Gary was a security company. They were a penetration testing firm. They wrote, for, they did forensic software. They went out and they basically teed off Anonymous and said, hey, we know who you guys are. We're going to basically um, unmask a bunch of you. And then they didn't even check for basic security in their entire organization. It was bad all the way around. And they were actively taunting hackers. So whenever you actually pull all of those things together, I think that you can say in that situation... Yeah, they probably got uh, what they deserved in that situation. I think that that's a debatable point. But like Derek said, we don't know everything about this. Like I said, it's entirely possible that they have been trying to secure things for the longest time and they keep getting shut down by management. Yeah, not even possible, but likely because, you know, before I was at Black Hills, I worked in corporate America. And, you know, time and time again, you know, we would say things from the security team and management would be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then we would hire a consultant to come in for, you know, gobs of money. They'd say the same things and management would be like, (laughs) why didn't you ever tell us about this? Right. Like. And so I, I would not be surprised that some poor systems administrator is not to blame and that it's the policies and, and, and management uh, choices that led to it. But yeah, I don't know. So, so one thing about the, they call it security by obscurity. Is that the, the term or obscurity through yes. security? Yeah. Uh, at some point, is it even difficult to implement security because there's nothing to t- attach it to? Like there's no infrastructure to put modern day security on because th- that stuff doesn't exist in utilities. Um, I, so there are ways that you can do it correctly, right? So the vast majority of utilities that are doing it right, they understand that there's legacy systems and they basically embed those systems across multiple different firewalls. And they, um, they, they really do try to secure those systems. And it's the same thing they do in Department of Defense. You have a number of systems at DOD that are, you know, the code was written in 1999. It only runs on systems up until like, you know, 2003. But the people that wrote it were genius level, crazy people who have retired. And those things, those systems are usually buried quite deeply. um, And they have lots of controls to actually get to them. This is different, right? You know, if somebody's using TeamViewer and it goes straight in, that's that's really, really, really bad. But a lot of that infrastructure, you can have legacy infrastructure 
and you can layer proper defense in depth and and still have a secure environment, even with those insecure systems. Okay. I was just picturing like a 69 Mustang where you put like the, the modern day, like Tesla computer system. And you try like, well, how do I put this in here? Yeah. This, hmm. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've been waiting uh, for us to, you know, as an industry, address that similar kind of problem with uh, all the mainframes that are still in use and the lack of the mainframe folks who are still around. But that's well, a topic for a different day. It, it's really, really terrifying whenever you you find out um, you find out just how many like ancient mainframe systems still run a tremendous amount of the financial institutions in the world today. Yeah, I was going to say, look at the Fortune 500, and you probably can you know 250 of them. Look at yeah. the- <laughs> I was going to say, look at the whole ACH system. It's all ran by like one yeah. data center in the middle of the country off of probably a very archaic system. Right. And that's how we all get, you know, that's how money moves around and all. Yep. Right? But, but it's not a dissimilar problem, right? It's making money. It's working now. It's something that a lot of people don't really understand. And it's going to cost a lot of money to oh, yeah. and fix it. Right. And yeah. it's just something until there's a disaster no one is going to want to deal with it. Yep. Well, it's like your own uh, uh, home water heater. Like, you're like, well, this thing's been around for 10 years. Might as well get a new one. No, you wait for it to explode, just like everybody else, for water to be everywhere. And then you order a new one. Like, I, That's the way of things. Yeah, yeah. the way. <laughs> I mean, people the, have the tried. Uh, yeah, right. People have tried to make like a whole life cycle, like, you know, planning the piece. I mean, there's been this has been a thought that maybe we should life cycle the IT and how we, you know, uh, the products that we're using and all that other stuff. Now, whether it actually happens comes down to money, right? We got a good plan. Well, I I think money is part of it, right? Um, That's always part of it. But you have some of these organizations, you know, whenever you you sit down and, okay, let me give you an example. So we were doing a pen test for um, like an investment management, like just a standard investment management company in New York City. And um, they uh, hired us in. And I remember the owner of the company uh, was on a call with me. And I think the engagement was something like $25,000, right? And he's like, I want you to justify this cost for me. And I went through the amount of time that it takes to do these things. And he's calculating the hourly rate. And he's like, why, why is your hourly rate this? You know, my dentist has an hourly rate that I've calculated to be less than that. Would you say that you're more or less qualified than my dentist? And I'm like, to do a pen test? I'm far more qualified um, to, do, to do a pen test than your dentist. And, I mean, anyone on this call want me to drill in their mouth? Yeah, let's no. do that, right? Nope. So yeah. he's just busting my chops. And then finally he starts laughing and I'm like, what? He goes, dude, I'm just, I'm just busting your chops. I spend more money on that on jet fuel going down to Florida on the weekend with my family. <laughs> oh, okay. So for a lot of these firms, whenever you're talking 10, 20, $30 million dollars, um, even a hundred million dollars to upgrade these systems, they absolutely could afford that, and they should. It's just, yeah, there's other things you can do with that money. Mm. So, yeah. All right. So I got the next story. Um, wanted to cover. Uh, Sim rules ignore the bulk of MITRE attack framework. So if you are not aware, uh, MITRE has released something a couple of years ago. And the MITRE attack matrix basically is something that every single security presentation on the planet has to talk about at least three times now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but what they did is they, instead of trying to develop a detailed analysis for every single attacker or attack, which they do, they actually cover that in groups, um, they basically started seeing that there was a lot of correlation and overlap in the techniques that adversaries were using. So they created the enterprise matrix, and they basically broke down all the different techniques that attackers reuse again and again. And it's almost like this shopping mart of different techniques. It's like for recon, I'll use these four things for, you know, initial access. I'm going to try drive by compromise and execution and persistence. I'll use these four and they reuse them again and again and again. And this is a really good thing, right? If you're trying to learn pen testing or trying to learn like offensive security, you really should try to learn as much as you can of the MITRE ATT&CK technique matrix, because I guarantee you there are techniques that red teamers use all the time. And if you're a blue teamer, knowing these techniques can be very, very, very helpful. But here's the problem. This article basically says that these particular rules that exist, um, there, I think it was something like 16%. Most SIM vendors have signatures written for about 16% of the enterprise matrix, uh, which is low. Not surprising, however, uh, but it is really low. There's a lot of post-exploitation, lateral movement techniques in here. Um, I do take a slight issue with this particular article, and I wanted to get the tester's take on this. A lot of the MITRE rules, like if you look in here, there's like 19, 20 different techniques that utilize PowerShell. And a lot of sims will actually analyze PowerShell and they will say, well, is there any encoding? Is there weird shenanigans going on? Rather than trying to write a very specific signature. Because if you look at these different techniques and sub-techniques, they actually have examples of these particular techniques. And you don't want to have your sim uh, basically writing specific signatures for this specific rule. You want to kind of abstract that up a little bit. But even that being said, 16% is bad. Um, So my question is, do you think the SIM vendors are just trying to abstract and roll these up as much as they can? Or do you believe that this is just the SIM vendors haven't adopted this at all because they're traditionally five to 15 years behind the curve in security? I'm going to let Ralph go first on this one. I actually have one. As someone who has worked in marketing in the past, next year you can say now covering 22% of the minor <laughs> tech. If we cover everything, where do we go from there? Exactly. Like you have no room for growth. Oh, yeah, gosh. I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard, right? Like to cover all of it. And it is marketing, right? You always want to give you something else to look forward to. But I mean, you know, I think it should be better for sure. I or mean, premium service, you can yeah. get 26%. For the level up, we can get you at 40% coverage, but that's only for our Enterprise Plus customers, okay? Yes. So as long as you fall into that tier, you're good. And I mean, you know, it's it's uh, it's not a surprise, right? But I honestly think a lot of these uh, detection products are sometimes behind the power curve, too. Um, you know, they're, they're looking for PowerShell, and we've moved to C-sharp. So... Yep. Well, the the one thing that I can't understand why a lot of SIM vendors haven't jumped on the bandwagon is a lot of these techniques, you have to have uh, Sysmon enabled, which means more event logs, which means more data. And usually they charge by the terabyte. So it's kind of like a lost opportunity. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. To get all this, we need more logs and we can charge more for that. Yes. (laughs) 
Why are we doing this? Are uh, they are they a security fiduciary, right? Like <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think the premise is just kind of wrong like as a whole. Like relying on a vendor to do detection and coverage in your network is kind of the wrong approach altogether. And the reason I say that is, is because there's no, like your environment, like, and you know, I've been doing this for quite some time now, what, six years or more. And I've seen so many different networks and they're all different. They're just all different. And like, they're all special snowflakes. And to think that you're going to just go buy a SIM and it's going to alert and cover everything that's in the MITRE framework. It's just, it's just the wrong approach. You need to take, like, organizations need to be responsible for knowing their network and being able to find anomalous things. And it's custom. And unfortunately, finding the people who are skilled enough to convince them of that and actually do that are expensive. And, you know, that's just not what companies want to do. So I, I just, I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's not surprising to me that they only cover 16% for sure. I'm not saying they shouldn't do a better job, but if they, let's say that they had the ability to turn on 80% of it. Right. And it's just going to be all like, it's going to be even more alerts in your network and you show up one day as an analyst and you don't really know like what, like, why do you have 6,000 alerts that you have to deal with today? You can't deal with that. So then you call the vendor and it's more support time. Like, I guess it's, I think the whole thing is the wrong approach to, to, to solving it. But And, and I think that uh, working with the MITRE team uh, for the past couple of years, they knew that, right? Um, and a whole bunch of SIM vendors that did start getting coverage, they were writing specific signatures for the specific example that they created, which is no. wrong. Don't do it that way. Um, and I like the fact that MITRE released the MITRE Shield framework, which was the active defense, cyber deception, and attribution stuff, uh, which is crazy because I had a bunch of them come through my class and they're contributing for the next run of my class that's coming up, which, by the way, is a pay-what-you-can class uh, for cyber deception. I just, I, just absolutely, um, I just absolutely love the fact that they went that way of actually the deception and attribution part of it. And the reason why I think that that's important, right, is I think it's easy if you don't know the MITRE attack technique matrix coupled with understanding offensive approaches. It can be very easy for you to get wrapped around the axle like Ralph was talking about PowerShell whenever we moved on to C uh, Sharp, right? So you get so wrapped up in something that isn't even used. So my question is just once you land on a system, what are your first four techniques that you two use to basically try to move laterally within that organization. Yeah, that's I the, read your reports. I, I know what the I know what they are, but go I, ahead. Um, I, the the first four. I'm not sure that it's always like not necessarily in order. The top four. Let's say the top four techniques. Yeah, I I think that uh, uh, I like to do something uh, with uh, C sharp, like something like seatbelt or some way of getting kind of some host based reconnaissance, just see what's going on to see what what's on the host. And, uh, you know, I and if I see something like there's a crowd strike or some kind of EDR, well, I know out of the gate that I shouldn't use Cobalt Strike because apparently that's the only rat that they can detect. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say it that way at all. I'm just saying that if you have something that's custom, you're, you're like if you just write like uh, some kind of like say some C sharp basic, you know, like you know callback 
they're not going to catch it, right? It's almost it's it's so hard. So I, I kind of like to get like some reconnaissance, like lay of the land type stuff. And I agree with Ralph. Like most of my trade craft now is gone to to uh, to dot net. And I think the next thing that I'll do is start looking, uh, you know, around the network, uh, maybe manually. Um, so, what would be the techniques you would use to uh, move around the network? <sighs> I got my number one right now. This is like the first thing that you need to do before you move laterally in the network. And that is you need users, groups, permissions. Like that's it. That's the first thing I care about. That is the number one thing that I want to know immediately before I start to go anywhere. Right. And as much as I can slurp that up from my current position, meaning the user that I have access to most likely, that's where I want to go. Right. And it's an, and that and that usually goes straight to LDAP, and so the first detection you be is raw LDAP queries. Yeah. What? Who is making those kind of queries? So right? Shout out to Bloodhound, right? So, yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, Blood Bloodhound would be like the first thing, right? But there's other ways to grab that in case they start picking yeah. up on this. And Absolutely. we were just talking. Yeah, but that's all I care about. However, I get that information is low and slow or whatever. And most of the time, Bloodhound is not detected. I've been on a bunch of engagements. Right? Okay. It was not detected. It, and it uh, should be. It should be. It should Honestly, be. It, and like, I'll, I'll play it safe. I'll, I'll use LDAP direct, uh, LDAP secure connection directly to the domain controllers to run Bloodhound. So it's just an LDAP query that's pulling down all that information. And technically, I think ATP does detect this. But there are anything that is pulling out a bunch of information from LDAP should have an instant detection. That's, that's yep. what the other one that should have instant kill detection is Kerberosting. Oh right? yeah. Absolutely. I mean, so you, you all are using Kerberosting in almost every single engagement. Um, we see it constantly and it's still working, right? So you've got LDAP queries and uh, bloodhound. You've got, um, I still see every single tester, every tester still looks for group policy preference files. Um, yep. Because one oh, time out of about twenty, <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 like one time out of twenty, it works, right? So you, you still have that. So um, the other one that we see people do is uh, Share Finder and File Finder, yep. just going through and identifying files and shares and uh, p- looking for keywords like passwords. So my my point on this is, you can get wrapped around the axles and trying to detect everything. But you should really try to focus what are the techniques within the framework that are being used all the time heavily and focus on those. So, you know, that comes back to the MITRE Shield, where you can actually create Active Directory user accounts that are Honey accounts. As soon as anyone tries to access it with a password spray, light it up. Create a... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, the Kerber roasting thing. I can't remember. I think I've only gotten busted once or twice running, like, doing Kerber roasting. And, and that was busted by your own tool, Derek. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I push back a little bit on this? But, I'm, well, gonna, on. I was like, just say I'm sorry. That, 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 we got, that we got Mubix on. in the house. Yeah, that he's here to rock the party. Now, now it gets interesting. No, like, I, I was listening to you guys because I was upstairs and kind of trying to focus on things. And, like, you guys started talking about, like, detection of Bloodhound. And I'm like, no, no. Um, so uh, detection of Bloodhound, I don't think should be a thing. I think you should be totally okay with Bloodhound running. I think you should fix the stuff 
that Bloodhound Five. Oh my God! Yes, okay. right. I'm not gonna, because I hoping, because I was hoping to fight Rob on this, but I'm not going to. Because <laughs> I, I think that blue teams, I think blue teams should be running Bloodhound all the time. Yeah, like, I, 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 I agree, agree with that. Using yeah. Plumhound. Plumhound, right? That creates the work list of the things they should yeah, shut down. Right. But you have to have pl- you have to have Bloodhound data, and so to get Bloodhound data, you got to run Bloodhound, and to get that into Plumhound, you have to and, be able to run yeah. it. No, and, the more, and I think that goes into the more doors. I think that goes into the more doors you close in an environment with something like Plumhound and cleaning it up. The more doors the attackers run into, the yeah. more doors the attackers run into, the more detection opportunities you have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that I would disagree with, yeah, you need to fix all the stuff that Bloodhound would find, but I think I do want to know if I have one system that is making uh, you know uh, standard deviations more of requests across the network than the rest of my uh, you know workstations. It's abnormal behavior. Sure. And I think that's like, yeah. it's obviously something happening, but, right? But, so but I, I like finite time. both are right. But I, but I think if you're looking at from from Rob's perspective, if you have to do one of these things first, lock the door. The stuff. Yeah. Yep. And and then you can start working on the protections because what happens is your signal to noise ratio gets a lot cleaner yes. the more you close the doors. Well, so have absolutely. you ever run Bloodhound and not gotten some a path to domain admin? Like I've gotten it a few yes. times where there was like nothing there. Like absolutely, yeah. I definitely. I want, have. I want organizations to get to that point. Yeah, first every time. Down. Yeah, I, I liked like, it. I got a call from Egypt. Uh, I think it was like early this summer, and he had ran Bloodhound, and the graph was so dense that <laughs> Egypt was having a nervous breakdown. Right, uh, it was like black, like a huge black bar from his system to domain administrator. And he's like, there's so many paths, I don't even know where to go. So, so the, those types of customers is why I offloaded running Bloodhound to my ESX server because it was like I didn't want to kill my VM. Like, so I just I just do it like now over on a server because screw it, I got other things to do. Right, I, I have but, been on organizations that you had to have like 15, 20, 30, 60 gigs of RAM just yeah. to. <laughs> it's gotten better it used to be really bad with some of those really big domains and you try to put it in it's like oh it's going to be an hour and a half with this thing so, to load i'm like oh. but to rob's point and a shout out to eric conrad because uh, this is really like his quote it turns out that good security really is just good systems administration and if you're closing yeah. those things then it makes an attacker's life so much harder so one one teaser though, uh, we have an intern here at Black Hills Information Security that's updating Blood or Plumhound to have a web interface that looks amazing. I've seen all the um, examples so far. Like it's going to be committed soonish. Like he's in Texas, so he's dealing with all that. But like it's it's fantastic, and it's essentially all of the different paths for you built out in a web interface that you can just have it run all the time. So like it's it's going to be great. Look forward to Plumhound 2.0. I I, I think Plumhound is probably one of like the most important tools that was released last year. And it's not just because it was written by Kent and it's BHIS, uh, but that whole take of Bloodhound is specifically written for offensive people to get to domain administrators. And when you have a customer that flips that around and says, well, what's the work I should do to stop this? It was really hard to parse that data because its goal wasn't for a defender to try to fix things. I mean, it just hammer home, hammers home the attackers thinking uh, graphs and defenders thinking lists, right? Like, I never really, I would tell blue teams, you should really do this, and then never hear anything back. And then, like, you know, I heard 
feedback of, I have no idea what to do with this. It's not in the list. Like, I don't know what to go check off, right? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so it's hard. All right. I've got another story um, I want to get to. Cyber criminals leaked the files that they allegedly stole from uh, Jones Day. There's a couple of things about this story that are really, really, really interesting. One, if you look at Jones Day client portfolio, it is frightening who they're actually representing. And some of that data may be public is, is even more frightening. The other thing that I hate about stories like this is, where's Jones Day? It might be in here, but Jones Day basically said, we didn't actually get attacked. It was one of our uh, vendors that we work with who was actually compromised. Um, and at, at that point, does it make any difference? Right, whoever. Here it can, is. Can SolarWinds say the same thing? Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is interesting because it's kind of a way of trying to deflect blame. And I, I, I agree with it, right? So we have a card for that in backdoors and yeah, purchase. We do, actually. Um, it's funny because when you're looking at a compromise, right? If you're using Google or Office 365 and there's some zero day for Google or Office 365, then the, the nature of the story is you're a victim of this vulnerability for Google or Office. And with Jones Day, they're taking the story and they're spinning it out that they are a victim of the file sharing platform, Acelion, Acelion, whatever that company's name is. And that's an interesting approach because Jones Day could have built their own file sharing service from scratch for their customers. They didn't. They went with a third party and they can actually now point fingers at that third party. Now, my question to everybody is, is that a safe approach to basically look at your IT infrastructure and say, you know what? We're not going to do this. We're going to offload that. Granted, the security may not be everything that we want it to be. We don't know, but it allows us to deflect the blame whenever something does happen. Or at the end of the day, does it even matter for a company like Jones Day? I mean, a lot of people think right now that that is the way to get better security. I mean, I've heard the arguments. It goes down the list, right? They've got a dedicated security team that just looks at their product. They hire external firms to just look at their infrastructure, to just look at that one thing. They should be better at that one thing. And I'm not a file sharing you know, centric company, like, you know, I guess if they're an IT company and that's what they do, right. If they provide that service, then, you know, but I mean, I've seen it, I I hear it. Right. That does, does that mean that it's okay to like shift the blame? Uh, Probably not. But, you know, are you saying that they could make a more secure system? I don't know. Like, and is that something that financially makes sense? That's what I I think is suspect. Go ahead. I don't think they can make a more secure system. You'd expect a team of lawyers to hire multiple developers and do a project to make a custom file sharing system. I wouldn't. Right. And so I I just, I I feel like there, there's some level of diligence that should be like, you know, like paid to third party vendors and doing like a bake off and figuring and having security as part of the choice that's made. But if this wasn't Jones Day, if it was some other law firm, would it be a news story? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I not. So I, I think it is okay to say. I don't think it would be as big of a news story, right? right. Trump was one of their customers. Sure. But it, it would still, I think it would be in the news, right? I mean, I think uh, almost every company is in this boat to some degree. Yeah. So. so- this reminds me of like, I could go in my kitchen right now and make myself food, or I could go to a restaurant and they can make better food for me. And so I'm going to choose the restaurant. But then at the restaurant, I get food poisoning. Is it my fault for going to the restaurant and they messed up and gave me food poisoning? Or is, I could have gone to my own kitchen. 
also, this may not be relatable at all. <laughs> I, actually think, I actually think that example. No, it's pretty good. Is very relatable, right? Especially since John just had food poisoning. I'm like, this is a great example. Well, there's there's regulations around the restaurant industry, right? Just like there are regulations around cybersecurity. So, mm-hmm. at at some point, the the regulation stops and and your liability starts. So, like, it, I don't know where that line is in in this particular case, but uh, like, there are already in place things to to say one way or another. Yeah, if if that makes sense, I, I think it does. Right? I mean, if you're looking at this actual attack or an attack like this, you know, just using the Team Viewer attack as an example, right? We can blame Team Viewer, and there's a bunch of people in security that were showing up on Twitter. They're like, "Well, if they're using Team Viewer, they suck at security." That's not true. <laughs> um, you know, we can debate Team Viewer, but the fact is, Team Viewer had things like two-factor authentication. They can force strong passwords. They chose not to use those things. It would be very difficult for them to then blame Team Viewer for their attack if they weren't using it correctly. Um, yeah, it's the, the same part. thing here. They're using the file sharing service, and they basically have a password of password one two three four. You can't really blame them for that security lapse. So there's there's definitely these lines, and I'm using extreme examples to kind of articulate the point that you can have a file server get hacked for a third party, but it can still be your fault. So this is where cyber insurance comes to play. That's yeah. that's what this is. Maybe, right? I mean, like, if, if you like look the at insurance just juster is where they're going to, you know, determine who's at fault, right? Yeah. I I think it's more complicated than that, right? I mean, if you look at the Mondelez attack out of Ukraine and how their insurance company refused to pay because they considered it to be an uh, act of war. And this particular attack uh, the actual group behind it, they believe, is Russian in nature. Um, I, I agree that insurance should kick in, but we've talked about it in previous shows. You really need to look at your insurance policy. And if it has like force majeure and it's not clarified what that is, if it says an act of war and it's not a declared act of war, then that creates a loophole for the insurance company to not pay. And further, with Jones Day, how the hell do you factor in what the damage actually is for this because they didn't steal any money it was reputational in nature and insurance companies get a little bit like squeamish about paying out for reputational damage so i agree you have to be looking at this from an insurance perspective but you should think about it before it actually happens and have a conversation with your insurance company first so it looks like the product that they were using was pretty much end of life all right so it wasn't end of life okay but it was like a very old version of their secure file sharing software, right? And it yep. was still in active use, but I there was a zero day for that particular product line, which is not the bread and butter of their of of their like service, right? It's not their cloud service yep. or anything like that. So they after immediately after this happened, they end of life it, right? So they were like, we don't want to take, you know, this is obviously we're something we're done, right? We're out of this game. But, uh, you know, here's the question. The question is, should they have possibly upgraded this? Was this like just kicking the can because it worked, right? And then, you know, does does that fall back to the uh, so, you know, legal law firm? 
how does this how does this then relate uh, to uh, like I use Microsoft services? I choose to have a bad password and uh, no two factor, and I am a victim of business email compromise. Is this Microsoft's fault or is this my fault? Well, no, this is you using Windows XP and then a vulnerability. No, 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 I'm, just, I, I'm not saying that because it's old. I'm talking about the whole thing we're talking about. Like, because I, I read it says 20 years old. I mean, it's not like they're using something from 20 years ago, right? It's it's just that's how long it's been in use, right? And so my, my yeah, thing it, is, it, it was not end of life, right? Yeah, it, it wasn't. You're right. And they were still, and whether they were still accepting money from it, I have no idea. Whether they were still actively supporting it, right? You know, they had these knows, remaining right? customers. Who knows exactly? And I mean, yeah, I think it's it's a, you know, whose blame is it? I don't know. It's, it, but it seems like we're always, always going back to that point. Because yeah. whenever something like this happens, I mean... Hell, like you look at Texas, right? Like all the news stories without getting political again, because we're not going to do that on the show. Um, <laughs> we're immediately trying to assign blame. It's like, well, they don't know how to build houses in Texas. And it, that's the never problem. Mind, never mind the fact that we have people that are freezing to death. We're immediately jumping yeah. in and we're saying, how can we blame the victims in this situation? It's green energy. Or it does, that's people. it. Like, it's windmills are freezing, right? Can we you do mean, something about that? You mean windmills like they run in Antarctica. Antarctica. Yeah, those are the problem. Yeah. Definitely so, the problem. But, but we, we immediately try to jump to that conclusion for blame. And I think a lot of that we talked about, I think, on the last show, where <laughs> – the number one human reaction is, how do I not get blamed for this? Um, and <laughs> the next fault. thing is, from a psychological perspective, we try to distance ourselves as far as possible from the victim because we cannot handle the idea that something like this could happen to us, right? So it's easy for us to look at, you know, even the the the, power, the water treatment plant in Tampa and say, well, they're idiots. And I'm, I'm at fault for saying that, Right. Um, and we do that psychologically because the more we can demean the people that had this happen, the more we can convince ourselves that this type of attack will not happen to us. And I mean, we I can do that. I so. think I have a solution. You, you can that? only put people in management that are only ch- only child because uh, they're used <laughs> to getting all the blame. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, with, that, that's the middle yeah. child. Sorry, that's the middle kids. <laughs> middle or only. Middle or only. Middle, <laughs> middle or only. If you, middle if you, management. Yeah. Or, you know, if we're kind of sticking on that theme, if you're going to hire a CISO, hire a CISO that has been in a company that has been in a major breach because they've been, <laughs> they've been tried by fire. And they're like, hey, that frying pan, that thing's hot. <laughs> <laughs> You mean I can't just point to my nose and say one, two, three, not it and not, not get breached? I've actually been in a meeting, Rob, where there was a breach and one of the systems administrators literally did that. Like there was a breach. Like, one, two, three, not it. I'm like, doesn't work. That's how this works, right? That's how the cybersecurity thing works. It literally yeah. broke the ice and we were cool. I'll go out on a limb and say that SISO that's actually been in a breach will start listening to some of the people who tell him when they need to do certain things. So I've been on CISO like search committees. And I've literally been in a room where they say, we can't hire that guy because he was actually working at Target and they were hacked. And I had to literally say, that's the guy you want. That's the guy you want. Wow. Like, they're like, no, it's almost like they're like, well, he must have bad it luck. It happened on his watch. It so. happened. It must be one man's fault. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap this up. I've got another meeting I got to get to. And it's been, it's been a day. So, all right. So thank you so much for ever, uh, for everybody that is here in the chat and for the people that are listening after the fact. We greatly appreciate it, and we'll see you next week.
Bye, guys. Bye.